The true vine, the man at your right hand, as we sang, was indeed raised up by God. He sent his very own son to work out his salvation plan. And in him, we know as he has promised, in him the true vine, we will never forsake him and he will never forsake us as we draw our strength from him. Today, this afternoon, we're going to read together, continuing through John chapter 15. John chapter 15, and we'll be looking especially at the verses 5 to 6, which match so beautifully with this upcoming Lord's Day, Lord's Day 2, that we'll be reading through together. But let's start at verse 1, and then we'll especially focus on verse 5 and 6. Christ says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then we come to the verses that we'll be focusing on. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So far, the Word of God will continue by coming to the Heidelberg Catechism, this summary of doctrine that we have. We'll be working together out of Lord's Day 2, which you'll be able to find on page 518 of your Book of Praise, which introduces us to the first part of this, this knowledge that we, that we need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort. So if you might remember from Lord's Day 1, or you can even glance back at it now, it speaks about first how we need to know how great my sins and misery are, and then second, how we are delivered from our sins and misery, and third, how we are to be thankful to God for such deliverance. And this Lord's Day focuses on that first part, our sin and our misery, coming to recognize it. So we read, from where do you know your sins and misery? From the law of God. What does God's law require of us? Christ teaches us this in a summary in Matthew 22. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Can you keep all this perfectly? No. I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor so far. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, this afternoon we continue to work our way through John chapter 15, which we started this morning. And as we saw this morning, if you were here, you may remember, 
Christ is walking through this landscape. He has just finished the Last Supper with his disciples, and now he is walking through this landscape of vineyards as he's working his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's later on going to be, he's going to pray to ask his Heavenly Father for strength and then be arrested and later killed. And because of this, he wants to encourage his disciples one last time in this tense moment for him. He wants to remind them of where they can find their strength, even when he will be taken from them. He wants to remind them that he is the vine. He's the true vine. And they are the branches. As branches of that vine, they share in him. They find their strength in him to continue. But why is it so necessary for them to be able to find their strength in him? Can't they just continue without him once he's gone? Won't they be able to carry on to a certain extent, at least doing some good, bearing some fruit without him? Today, we'll see how Christ talks about this under the theme, nothing without Christ. And we'll see, first of all, a dead old nature, and secondly, we'll see new life in Christ. Now, in answer to that question, can't they just move on without him and maybe bear fruit without him? Christ makes it very clear that they actually can't. In fact, nobody can. We today, we're in the same boat as those disciples in days gone by. And Christ makes this clear with these words. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He's repeating what we saw this morning, the fact that he is the beginning of a new Israel, one that's found in him, one that will not fail, a vine which God will never forsake, a people of God who will not fall under judgment for their failure to bear fruit, as Israel so often did in the past. He's continuing in this, because he himself, those who are found in him, will bear fruit. He himself will bear fruit. And so he continues, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So this first part, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. We can follow this so far. This is just a repetition of what he's said before. If we truly want to please God, we need to look for the strength that Jesus supplies. And when we fall short of bearing that fruit, we need to look to him for forgiveness and find a hope of salvation in him, remembering that he is paid for all of our sins. We follow that so far. But then he says something that's pretty startling to hear to our modern ears today. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Now that's quite the statement, isn't it? Without me you can do nothing. What does he mean by this? In our Heidelberg Catechism, we confessed 
today of the fruit that we'll, we were called to bear, that we are called to bear. And we see that fruit coming out in that summary that we find in the second question and answer here, that summary in Matthew 22, which says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So that summary is the fruit, to love God with all our heart and to love our neighbor as herself. But then our catechism goes on to say, I'm inclined by nature not to be able to do any of this. In fact, I'm inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. Now, your immediate inclination when you were following along here may have been, is it really as bad as all that? Is it really as bad as all that? The Canons of Dort, one of our other confessions, it it clarifies, it speaks to clarify what is meant here by this teaching. In chapter 3, 4, article 1, we read how man was created good, but rebelling against God through the instigation of the devil, so this is at the time of the Garden of Eden, rebelling against God, And through his own free will, he deprived himself of these excellent gifts. These gifts which include purity of the heart, mind, of the will, and of the affections. This this purity that God gave him at creation. It says that God, that uh, man deprived himself of these gifts that God gave him. And instead he brought upon himself blindness, horrible darkness, futility, and perverseness of judgment in his mind. Wickedness, rebelliousness, and stubbornness in his will and heart, and impurity in all his affections. So the whole of man has now been affected by this. His, his mind, his will and heart, and all of his affections. For man, when he rebelled against God, he also rebelled against everything that is good in this world. Because as the Apostle James teaches us, The Apostle James teaches us, James the brother of Jesus, sorry, not the Apostle James, James the brother of Jesus, he, in his letter, writes how every good and perfect thing comes from God. So when we rebel against God, we also reject every good and perfect thing in this world. The book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 1, puts it in vivid language. It says that because of this, we are dead in sin, apart from Christ. And the Apostle Paul says it even more clearly in Romans 7, For I I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. This is the old nature. It's evil. It's bad. It's the flesh. Since everything good is God's, and by rebelling against God, man stripped it all away, then all that's left is the opposite of what is good. And this brings us to our second point, new life in Christ. At this point, you might be thinking, really? Is that really true? Because when I look at my neighbor down the road, when I look at my friend at work, You know, my my friend at work, he might be a little bit crass, but he doesn't seem particularly hateful. 
Or I look at this coworker of mine, and she's the friendliest person in the world, even though she doesn't know Christ. And it's true, isn't it? We all know people who don't know Christ and who seem from our point of view to be very caring, very kind people. How can we say that this is the sinful nature? How can we say, as Ephesians 2 puts it, that their sinful nature is dead to what is good? Article 4 of this chapter of the Canons of Dort that we looked at earlier is actually quite helpful here. It points out what we see in Scripture. It points out that there is, left in man after the fall, some light of nature. Man is not as bad as he could be in every area of life. It's just every area of life that's being affected. Now, man's fallen nature isn't the source of any good that we find in this world. It's not the source of the goodness of this world. After all, James 1 verse 17 that we talked about, right? It says every good and perfect thing is from God. But what this means is that any good that those people in the world around us that they do show in this world comes actually not from within their own natures at all. And to our modern ears, this, this sounds strange because we have this Disney view of the world that's impressed on us, right? You've got to look deep inside yourself to find the good that is deep within yourself. But this good doesn't come from deep within ourselves. This good doesn't come from the sinful nature at all. Instead, it comes from the little bit of light, the little bit of goodness, that restraint on evil that God himself left in this world, even though man rejected it all. This little bit of light and goodness is evidence not of goodness that lies in the heart of man, but this light and this goodness and this kindness that we see in the world around us is evidence of God's patience with the world. Patience that lies within the heart of God. Because if God turned this whole world over completely to their natures, to our natures, apart from Christ, there's nothing good left there. The nature Sinful, fallen human nature has rebelled against God, the only source of all good. And it's rejected all of that. And so there's nothing good left inside. The nature is inclined to hate God and our neighbor. Our sinful, fallen human natures. If God left us over completely to our sinful, fallen human natures, our sinful, fallen human natures would cause us to tear each other apart. So yes, our unbelieving friends do show goodness and kindness. But that's the effect of the mercy of God by His having left some goodness in the world, some restraint in the world. One of the friends of Jesus, his disciple and follower, Peter, teaches us why this is. In 2 Peter 3, verse 9, God, 
he, he speaks of how God left some goodness in the world instead of immediately judging the world and pouring out his anger on this horrible, sinful nature that's inside of people. He did this so that in the time that his patience gives us, more people can be brought to repentance. You see, God doesn't rescue us and he doesn't have patience on us because we're such good people. In fact, any good that is within us is because of his mercy and grace. But he, in the time that his patience gives us, chooses, even though he knows who we are, chooses to bring us to him. But this sinful, dead nature which hates all good things is still at the core of unbelieving man. Realize what this means. It means that if any goodness in the world is due to the patience and mercy of God and simply keeps mankind from tearing each other apart, then mankind can't take any credit for it. Because it doesn't come from within man of, its, of his own accord. It's from God. It's only when man is joined to God that goodness comes from within him, that from Jesus Christ who lives inside of him. So just like the trunk of the vine and the sap flowing through the branch, which is part of the life of the vine, results in fruit being born, this is then genuinely fruit that comes from a changed heart within, instead of being something from the outside that God places on mankind to restrain them from the true depths of evil that their dead, sinful nature stores inside. And so this is why Jesus Christ is so insistent on the need to dwell in Him. Without me, you can do nothing. We have a complete inability to truly bear fruit apart from Him. Yes, we can be kind people, but this doesn't come from genuine life, which is within us. The sap of the vine that is Christ flowing inside of us. This also means that the reasons for doing what is right will be different from the world as well. Even the right things that the sinful fallen nature does is for fleshly reasons. But it's not done for the glory of God. And that, only that which is done out of true faith out of thankfulness to him and to the glory of God, is truly good. What this means is that for true salvation and to do what is truly good, humanity needs to look not within, as Disney would have us do. Not to look deep within, but to look outside of ourselves. To look to Jesus. Hebrews, right? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Because in Jesus, what is dead inside of us is taken away. And instead, he puts new life in us. Like sap flowing from stem to branches. New life in us. Good, true good. Becomes something that by the work of the Holy Spirit does well up. Like a spring of living water within us. A spring that has its source in Jesus Christ himself. Realizing this, all of this background, 
then what Christ says next becomes suddenly a lot more plain. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. This is the result for all who are apart from Christ. Because if we cut ourselves off from Christ, we cut ourselves off from the goodness that flows from him as well. We cut ourselves off from the source of light and life. If we cut ourselves off from Christ, then the life of Christ isn't in us. And if that life which flows from Christ isn't within us, then we aren't able to bear fruit. We are cut off. We are then cut off. But he goes on. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. And what is it that you desire? This isn't just a blanket prosperity gospel kind of promise. This isn't you or me saying, I desire a Learjet. I do hate the prosperity gospel for what it does. It turns people into consumers rather than producers. That's not what the father, the vine dresser, wants of us. He places new desires in our hearts along with the new life that he gives us. And what is it that a branch desires? The only desire of a branch of a vine is to bear fruit. And if we abide in Christ, we abide in his words, we grow in faith and maturity as we spend time with our Lord each day, praying to bear fruit. And as we spend this time praying to bear fruit, he will answer that prayer. We will bear fruit. We'll bear fruit out of the life that he has granted us, out of the life that the vine gives. We will bear fruit. This is the prayer that he will answer. Brothers and sisters and boys and girls, let's spend time with the Lord each day. Let's spend time with the Lord each day, growing in spiritual maturity, seeking that life which flows through us and then bears fruit. This is so important to our growth, both as individuals and to our growth as a congregation to bear life and light within a community in which there is often, so often, darkness. So in light of what Jesus Christ has said and in light of what our Lord's Day has explained to us as well, let's see the darkness that God has rescued us from. The dead nature that's so filled with hate and so empty of all good things. And let us praise Him for bringing us into this light setting our hearts on what is good and holy and right. And let us make our ultimate desire not be things of this earth, not our ultimate desire not set on success, not set on finances, not set on even relationships, 
or anything else, but instead have our ultimate desire and our ultimate joy be to bear fruit. Because that fruit will show. That fruit will show that we are living and abiding in the vine. It isn't, that fruit isn't what makes us abide in the vine. But it is proof, and this is why it brings us so much joy. It is proof that we are abiding in the vine. That we have been rescued from darkness and brought into his wonderful life. That we have been given new life in Christ. Amen.